Please turn your Bibles over to the book of John. We're still in our Road to the Cross series where we observe and study the events that happened before the crucifixion and before, obviously, the resurrection. Please turn your Bibles to John chapter 13. We're going to be reading from verses 1 to 17. The book and the chapter and the verses are on the screen, but the verses will not be shown. So please go to your Bibles. I really um, encourage you guys to bring your Bible, your hard copy Bible, uh, not your phone Bible. Because uh, you never know, they might take down that website or change those verses there and you will be misled. Let's begin reading. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God, was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel under his waist, around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place, do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be, you will be blessed if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for providing for us all our needs this entire week. Thank you for keeping all of us healthy. Thank you for all the provisions that we've enjoyed. Thank you for our loved ones our health, our jobs, our businesses. We thank you for this building that you provided for us, for us to worship you and to praise you. We thank you for the songs that we're saying. We thank you for this, the Sunday school teachers, this, the church staff, Lord God, the singers. We thank you for their willingness in providing for them, providing them to us so that we can be prepared for your message. Now, Lord God, we ask for your Holy Spirit to teach us, to come upon us, Lord God, to guide us and to give us the wisdom that we need. May our hearts be open, may our souls be fed today. Speak to us once again, Lord God. Father, bless my preparation and speak through me. Save those who are lost, Lord God. Heal those who are broken. Restore broken relationships, Lord God, most especially with you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen. 
Ah. So um, this message is going to be because we're an hour ahead. So that gives me about an hour plus my 45, right? <laughs> guests, I'm kidding. Please stay in your seats. Uh, we do have some guests tonight. Uh, make sure that you get your um, welcome package uh, this evening. So I entitled our message tonight, How May I Be of Service? This is the more formal way of saying the line, How May I Help You? The word service for me seems to give a heavier weight, a more meaningful word that communicates sincerity. Now we all know that, that words can be cheap, amen? Some of you, yeah. Sometimes they say it with a frown. How may I help you? You know they're really excited to help you, right? You go to the restaurant, the server comes up and she goes, how are you guys doing today? How may I help you? What are you? Right? Or what if the person is with all smiles, right? Jolly, excited to see you. Hi, welcome to McDonald's. How may I help you? You know that's going to be the best $10 you're going to spend because not only are you going to feed your fast food craving, now you're going to get, you're, you're having a great person in front of you and it seems like, it seems like the person is saying what he's saying or she's saying is sincere. But when you're on the phone because you're troubled, right? Your credit card was used by someone else. And then you call. And you could, see, you could hear the sincerity over the line, right? How may I help you? See, the Lord Jesus, hours before he was going to be crucified, decided to have dinner with his extended family, right? And then, much more, wash their feet. What are you going to do on your last few hours here in this, on this earth? You'll probably have dinner with your loved ones, sure. But you think part of your list is like, hmm, let me see, let me wash their feet. I have some good news, because last week we did the Last Supper, and then we had the Last, last Supper within the service. But we're not going to do the washing of feet tonight, okay? <laughs> we're not going to include that. But I have three points for us tonight. Three points for us tonight. Yes, there you go. Points this evening. Humility, holiness, and help. In under humility, verses 4 to 5. Now, humility, according to the dictionary, as a noun, is a modest or low view of one's own importance and freedom from pride or arrogance. I love how they had that there. They automatically said the opposite meaning of the opposite word of, of humility, which is pride and arrogance. Now, think about it real fast. This world tells you mostly to be proud, to be a leader, not a servant, to be the leader, not a follower, right? To be prideful. That's what the world tells us. Take pride in your work. There's nothing wrong with that part. That part in whole, the whole context, but it does somehow encourages proud feeling, the arrogance. Now, Jesus, with all his power, if you go back there, it says there on uh, verse chapter 13, verse uh, uh, 3, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God. With all the power that Jesus had, with all the power that he had, he decided to do the most menial task that the lowest of the low does during that time. Now, here's a little bit of background. At this point, we need to look at these verses here, 4 to 5. At this point, we need to bear in mind that a common mode of travel in the first century was walking. There was no cars, right? And many of the roads were dirty because they were just made out of dirt. There was no concrete. Thus, since most everyone in those days wore sandals, there were no Nikes, right? 
After several hours of walking on one of those dusty roads, a person's feet got dirty. Because of that fact, the practice of foot washing after a journey was an ordinary everyday occurrence. It was generally understood that when one visited in the home of another, the host would send his servant to bring a basin of water and wash the feet of the guest. Now to you and me, it seems that such an experience would make it awkward, right? Especially if you, you know, you walked many miles already and it was hot, so that means your feet's dirty and sweaty and there's a certain stench, right? So you'd be like, no, 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 I'm okay. No, but this was the practice. This was a common place for them. Now, if a servant or a slave was not available, available to perform this service, the duty of washing the feet of those present would fall to the lowest ranking person in the crowd. So if you look at the verses again, there was no servant in the upper room. But it should have been the lowest between them. But God incarnate took on the responsibility of the lowest of the low. Now, Christian, for those of us who take so much pride in our status in our society, yeah, work, you're the boss at work, so when you come to church, there's no way you're going to pick up trash, right? There's no way you're going to do the cleaning ministry because, dude, you're going to ask me, do you know who I am? Do you know me? But Jesus, God, God incarnate, took on the lowest of the low. Now the disciples might have looked at one another in amazement as they saw what Jesus was doing, right? They didn't know what to say. They were all stunned that their Lord and Master, the Son of God, the God that turned water into wine, the God that walked on water, the God that raised Lazarus from the dead, was performing a task of a slave. You know, a menial, menial work uh, is, is, the menial work means it doesn't require much skill. And if it's menial, it lacks, it lacks prestige. Now, some of us, when we want to be called by God, we want it to be at the prestigious uh, stage. Right? I always kid around when I have a brother or sister that has their own business or are supervisors at their, at their own job. I say, can I be your assistant? Assistant to the supervisor, assistant to the boss? Because there's that certain thing with titles, right? Especially, especially the Filipino culture. You know how my mom really encouraged me to study well? Because in the Philippines, the, the hard workers... You know, the construction workers on the street, the metro aides, the ones that were sweeping the, the grounds, those go to the ones that weren't able to study because they couldn't afford it. They were born in a poor family, right? Or they were just lazy in school. So that's how my mom went riding in the jeepney, and we will see those guys. And then it's after the report card, and my mom saw my, my grades, and then she clicks me on the head. Mm, you don't want to study hard? That's going to be you in the future. So I go, oh man, Lord, take me now. Because we don't want it. We don't want the hard labor. Maybe some of you do. But most, if we're all going to be honest, we'd rather be the boss, right? We'd rather be, be the one in the office looking and observing. Hmm, which one is not doing their job? But Jesus, with all the power that he has, he took on the most menial task. That's why the header is humility. Now see, humility is so elusive. Humility is so elusive that the moment you've gotten it, you've already lost it. What do I mean? Who here is humble? Please raise your hand. The moment that you say you're humble, you just lost it. Because you were proud to be humble. 
The opposite of humility is pride. The root of all sin is pride. In 1 Peter 5.5, it reads, In the same way you who are younger, submit yourselves to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. All of you. Not Not just the young, the older. The older too. Because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. And then in Proverbs 3.34, there's more verses. I'll just give you two. The Lord mocks the mockers, which is the proud, but is gracious to the humble. You know, pride is a universal human problem. Everyone suffers from it to some degree. When we have exalted ourselves in pride, God does not want to punish us and bring us low, but rather to forgive and restore us. That is why Christianity is, is, is real. Because God himself came down from heaven to become like you and I. So that he will become the sacrificial lamb for your sins and mine, not his. He humbled himself to that point. That's why Christianity solves the human problem, which is pr- a prideful heart. A prideful heart is a sinful heart. Why? Because sin tells God, I know better than you. God says, keep yourself pure. You say, Lord, you're boring. It's 2023. We're supposed to be young, happy, date, and be merry. God says, keep yourself pure. You're saying, no, Lord, I need to test the car before I buy it. Now, Christians... Our humility must be present all the time. When humility is absent, pride is right there. Therefore, if you would like to review or assess your relationships, when it's troubled, someone's pride has surfaced. If you're having problems with your spouse, someone's pride is hurt. And that person's pride is now coming out And saying and asserting himself or herself saying, I'm done with this. If you want to look into your relationship with your children, if it's not working, somebody's pride is affected. Somebody's pride is is spewing out. I will not listen to you. You will listen to me. If you look at your relationship with your friends or here at church, somebody's pride was hurt. When trouble is there, someone's pride is hurt. And that person who's hurt wants to make sure, I'm going to make you know and realize who you're messing with. But Christian humility must be present all the time in Christians. Now, we're not perfect. That's why we came to Jesus. Amen? We're not perfect. We will all make mistakes. From time to time, many more often than we would like to admit. But humility is a must for any Christian. You cannot be a Christian and be prideful. Humility and humbling of oneself is out of fashion today. It's not popular in today's world. And it's unappealing to the most people, to most people. Now, however, As Jonathan Edwards, an American preacher in the 1700s, said, we must view humility as one of the most essential, essential things that characterizes true Christianity. Now think about yourself. Are you prideful or are you humble? Now God takes pleasure in our efforts to humble ourselves. He takes pleasure in in seeing that because he sees the intentions of our hearts, right? He loves to bless and exalt the the humble. That's what it says, right? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When it says God opposes the proud, he's on the opposite side. If you are prideful, God is on the opposite side of that. So you have to think about it. Are you prideful or are you humble? For just as pride is the root of all sin... Humility is the root, mother, nurse, foundation, and the bond of all virtue. Now, here's an illustration for you. 
about humility and pride. A widely renowned Spanish matador of the last century was a precarious 21-year-old named Jose Corberto. In spite of his youth, he had experienced spectacular success and acclaim. There came a day when he entered the ring with one of the fiercest, one of the most fiercest bulls in all of Spain. And the bull began galloping at Jose, trying to gore him, but missing his target every time. With every unsuccessful attempt, the maddened bull made became more infuriated. No, it's the, my my uh, my thing here. He became more agitated. Okay, there you go. That's easier. Having skillfully sidestepped the enraged bull's every charge, and having grievously wounded the the animal, Jose then with satisfaction, didn't wait to make sure that the bull was finished. Instead, he immediately turned to the cheering crowd to bow and enjoy their applause. The bull, however, was not dead. It rose and lunged at the unsuspecting matador, its horn piercing Jose's back and puncturing his heart. Shortly thereafter, Jose lost consciousness and died. What's the lesson of the story? Don't be a matador. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, no, no. This is the, this is the, just when we think we've finished off pride, just when we think we've finished off pride, just when we turn to accept the congratulations of the proud, the crowd, pride stabs us in the back. Now, we should never consider pride dead before we are. The only time that we will never be really proud is when we're dead. Because we all have it. It's all in our hearts. But God tells us and reminds us, as you've read, God showed us the example to be humble. To be humble. Christians must be humble. Now think about it. Now we have to go back to the event at the washing of the feet of the disciples. The disciples sit speechless as Jesus washes their feet and dries them with the towel. All of them were speechless except for one. We all know who that one is, right? Peter. Peter always had something to say, didn't he? I love him. I love his story. I'm pretty sure we're going to have a lot of meaningful conversations from Peter. But Peter was one of the guys that always had something to say. Jesus said, you know, I'm going to be taken from you. I'm going to die on the cross over my dead body, Lord. He comes in there, starts to argue again. And then here he goes, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Essentially saying, no, you're not. You're not going to wash my feet. Some of us would think, oh, Peter is so humble. Peter loves Jesus so much. But you know what, what this shows? And the other things were, were other times when Peter was arguing with God? That's Peter's pride. Peter's pride equals Peter was sinning. When God tells us to do something and we want to do the exact opposite, that's sinning. That's sinning. Which brings us to our next point, holiness. Holiness. In verses 7 to 10, or to 11, you could see that Jesus said on, on the question of Peter, not just my feet, no, because, because Jesus answered him, unless I wash you, you will have no part with me. Then when Peter heard this, he's, his reply, not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. Now, the washing of the disciples' feet is not only of humility, but as you can see here, it's a parable of salvation. It's an illustration of how a person is saved. Unless a person comes to Jesus, unless Jesus washes that person with his blood, that person is still dead in his sins. 
There is no other way. If you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, if you think your good works will bring you to heaven, you're saying this, that Jesus, when he went down and died on the cross, you're saying that that's not enough, Lord. That's not enough. I need to add to that. When Jesus said, it is finished, you're saying, no, not really. Again, like Peter, right? Are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus said, if you don't, right? If you don't, you have no part of me. But then when Peter, when Peter then said, no, I want you now to give me a bath, right? But before that, I'll, I'll show you verses about the washing of the blood from Jesus. Hebrews 9.22 reads, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. We need the blood of Jesus. If you haven't surrendered to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you need to be washed by His blood. And in Romans 3.25 reads, For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. That's Romans 3.25. There's no other way, guys. No other way but through Jesus' blood and his sacrifice. Then Peter said, give me a bath, right? Give me a bath. Peter, man, I'd like to call him Mr. Bong because he always has something to say. Now, on this verse, I will briefly explain this section and circle back on this next Sunday, including the, the, the uh, betrayal of Judas. Now, during this time, the guest, if I still have everybody, during this time, the guests will take a bath in their own homes before they go to their dinner engagement, Okay. Jesus uses this to illustrate that since Peter has been saved, because Jesus said, you have had a bath on verse 10, right? Jesus said there, and then he said that all the disciples have been saved except for one. Do you see it? Is it there? Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, speaking to Peter, Though not every one of you are, right? Because Judas is there. Judas was still there. So I will, again, we will circle back next week. But here's the verse that will show us to, to reference this, that Peter and the other disciples were saved, except Judas in John 17, 12. While I was with them, I protected them. This is Jesus Praying, praying to God the Father. I protected them and kept them safe by the name you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction. So that scripture will be fulfilled. That one person that's doomed is Judas Iscariot. Now this is why we believe that we don't lose our salvation. Amen? And everybody? This is why we believe that we don't lose our salvation. Amen? If you think you can lose your salvation, please talk to me later on. Again, we will discuss this again next Sunday. But you cannot lose your salvation because you never earned it in the first place. How can you lose something that you didn't earn? Are you keeping it all of a sudden? Oh, if I do enough good works, I will not lose my salvation? No. If you are saved by grace and by grace alone, by faith and by faith alone, then that's it. It's not by works. Our good works is a result of our relationship with God. Amen? Now, Jesus told Peter and the rest of the disciples that they don't need a bath, but a constant washing of their feet. Sadly, as we continue to live in this world and continue to live in this flesh, we will still sin. That's the sad truth. Now, we are to bring it to Jesus, confess our sins and have that mental picture of him washing it over and over again. The bath that Jesus told Peter that he had taken, that's, you've been, that means you've been justified. 
If you have surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, you have been justified. You have been paid for. Now, the washing of the feet, the washing is our process, which is called sanctification. Now, again, more on this next Sunday. But this afternoon, the header, the next point is holiness. Knowing that it costs Jesus' blood that we are saved, knowing that we don't lose our salvation, does it now give us the permission to continue to sin? Does it now tell us that since I'm saved by grace, not by works, since I cannot lose my salvation, that means I should continue to live in my sinful ways? Is that what it says? Romans 6, 1-4 reads, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of, of the Father, we too may live a new life. The sad reality is we have accepted Jesus as our Lord, but we have not gone to the funeral of our old self. We have not crucified our old self. We just went to the Easter Sunday celebration. Celebrate, Jesus, celebrate. Da -na -na -na, da -na -na. All right? We like that part. We like the part that we're saved. We were sinful, but we were saved. We were rescued by Jesus. We were saved. And then when we come home, we get out of the church, we go back to work, we go back to our old self, and we say, I'm back. Grumpy old me is back. Proud me is back. We tell our parents, we tell our family, we tell our, ch our children, I'm going to go to church, I'm a Christian now. We tell our co-workers, I'm a Christian, Jesus loves me. But then my old sinful way is still very much here. We don't say that. Of course not. We don't. But we act it. We're still the old prideful self. We're still the old arrogant self. We're still the whatever else our struggle is. We still remain in that. Now, being and knowing that God sent His only begotten Son to die on the cross and shed His blood for us, stooping down, coming down from heaven, and then washing the disciples' dirty feet, which is, represents sin, we are to live a holy life. We are to live a holy life. Being washed by God does not give us a license to sin. But it gives us the power to live a righteous new life. Amen? We say amen, right? We do say amen. And I've fallen into this trap before too. But the power of sin, if we're not willing and we're not being honest to really let go of it, the power of sin still grips us and we will still live that sinful self. We have to be willing because God will not force it. God will not force us. I really wish He would. Uh, many times, I really wish that He would just force me to not sin against Him. But the freedom, the freedom in Christianity, it's amazing. But at the same time, too much freedom is dangerous. Now, God loves us. God loves us, but He also wants to know if we love Him. Now, how does He know that we really love Him in return? It's in our obedience. That's why he doesn't force us. He wants to know, is Joe going to obey me? Third point, help. Help. Another unpopular word. If you're self-sufficient, if you're successful and you're self-sufficient, you don't want to ask for help. You feel like it's an insult to your intelligence. It's an insult to your strength. Right? It's just like when I'm at the gym, you know, when I'm at the gym, I like it when I don't know anybody there. 
if then they don't get to come back to church and say, you know, Pastor Joe could not bench this much. I went to the gym one time with my son at this size now. How I miss the times when he was younger, much younger than I was. Because the last time him and I lifted, he was lifting more than me. And there were many times, many times that he had to spot me. It's okay, Dad, I got you, Dad, I got you. Because I was just old and weak. And he's always asking, do you, need a, do you need help? I go, no, no. I think you need help, Dad. Just tell me. I'm okay. And then, no, okay, help me, you know. Help, another unpopular thing. As humility is not popular, helping, asking for help. And, and the other thing, helping is also unpopular. What is help? Help is when I do something for somebody, Pastor Joe. Great, great. Yes, that's true. That's true. But what is Christian way of helping? Christian way of helping is unselfish help. And usually it comes when you don't want to give it. Last Saturday, not this Saturday, but a Saturday ago, my wife decided to do a project at the house. Well, I was reviewing, my, I was reviewing my, my message last week, which is the Lord's Supper, remember? Anna and I went to the Home Depot before that, and we bought this uh, drain thing for the kitchen, for the sink downstairs. Because Brother Edgar, Brother Edgar told him, her, Brother Edgar told her, oh, you just need this, because there was a certain stench that was coming out of our sink. So Brother Ed, so if there's probably a leak there, you just need to replace this drain and you should be okay. Call me, Brother Ed. I, did, I didn't know that, but the, later on I found out that Brother Edgar said, just call me and, you know, come and help. So Anna and I bought the material. Anna comes home. Uh, so we came home and I was making coffee and I saw Anna just rolling her sleeves. And I go, what are you doing, babe? She goes, mm, you can YouTube anything these days, babe. I'm going to work on this thing. I go, I go, all right. Sure, you know, went back to my computer, start working. Through to form. The attacks of the enemy happened. 10 to 15 minutes in, she starts screaming for my name. Babe, come here. That tone, because I've been married to her for 21 years, right? 22 years. I knew it was something big. I go, hmm, Lord, help us, Lord, help us. I got up. Water, guys, water was squirting out. So, you know, I was in a panic, but I was quiet because she was, she was already panicking. What, who do I call? Who do I call? I go, I don't know. She even went and said, should I call 911? I go, I don't know. I just said, I don't know. I don't know. So I went in there thinking that I could just probably put this pipe here and put it back there and it stopped, right? Oh, no. Have you, you guys know what waterboarding is? I know it. When the water keeps going down and the pressure is so far, hard and fast, I felt like I was drowning. I was like, ah. Oh. And then Anna, all the more, when she saw me panicking, she goes, who do I call? She calls Brother Edgar. She called, and then Gianna called Deacon John. And I was just like drenching here, right? We're so, so wet. And then I go, maybe I need to turn off the main switch, right? But you know, God had an idea to bring the snow multiple times, right? So it was snowing at this time. It was snowing, and our snow in our yard is like yay high, right? And this is me. I go, where is that thing? You know, where is it? So I start digging here. It's not there. Start digging here. It's not there. And I go, man, why am I so cold? And I realized I was drenching wet. So Alonzo comes home. He's like, what are you guys doing, man? <laughs> and I go, hey, all right, Zoe, go, go, go help me. And Zoe start. Zoe tried. Zoe, Zoe tried. So drenching, shoveling, shoveling, right? Help. I was needing help. Lord, help me. Give us help. Send us help. The water was just like squirting. It's everywhere. The house is flooding. Jana's on the phone. You know, Anna's on the phone. And then Deacon John comes up. Deacon John with his pickup truck and his trailer. He goes, did you find it yet? I go, no. 
Yeah. No, not yet. He goes, all right, I'm going to go over inside and check it out. He's in there. John comes out. He goes, it's not there. I don't think it's here. So we're both digging, right? Shoveling, snowing. We're like, oh my gosh, this is a mess. Is this ever going to end? Because we're like an hour, I think, in already in this thing. Yeah, I'm not kidding. And then my daughter, my sweet daughter, Gianna, comes out from the door. She goes, Dad, do you want me to call my dad's friend who's a plumber? <laughs> so I tried my best to be the pastor dad that they expect me of me. I said, yes, babe, that'll be a great idea. <laughs> this guy comes in. Five minutes, it was a neighbor, a neighbor of ours. I heard he likes me because we, had, we shared the same flag, right? Shared the same flag. Comes out, big white guy, you know, with the Sam's and Sanford plumbing, whatever. I'm like, that's the dude, that's the guy right there. Comes up, he goes, oh, you, did you guys get it? Funny enough, when he got there, we found it. John and I found the main switch. He's like, oh, it's right there. Turns it off. He made it look so easy. And I'm just like watching it. And then, and then I go inside and he turns the waters off and he's switching. He did it so quick. And then Gianna goes, dad, you know, Tito Edgar spun in the freeway. He's been waiting for you there. I'm like, oh my gosh. Okay, so now I went to get by the Edgar. But to make a long story short, I took five minutes in, and then I said, to make a long story short, I got Brother Edgar, took him home. The problem was fixed, right? The problem was fixed, but I didn't know who to call in the middle of the storm. You probably don't know who to call, right? Because the water is just pushing and pressuring you, and you couldn't breathe. The, the problem is just too big, and you just don't understand who's going to be able to help you. And it got, mind, mind you guys, it was snowing. Brother Edgar didn't have a 4x4, but he went. He went anyway because he couldn't stand Anna crying on the phone. <laughs> Help me. So Brother Edgar went and he almost died, you know, but praise God, he's here. <laughs> he did. He almost did die, right? Because he spun in the middle and then he was facing the on incoming traffic. He's like, oh man, <laughs> that's the time to check your salvation if it's correct, right? <laughs> I mean, look at this verse here. I have set an example. Jesus has set an example for us, all of us Christians, that we are to be willing to help. We are to be of help, to make ourselves available to whatever he tells us to do. I'm glad I got brothers I can call. I had two. And then my daughter had a friend whose dad's a plumber. Yeah, but that's another story. Now, Jesus is quite clear here that we are to follow his example of being humble and with that humility, mind you, the first point is humility. With that humility, we are able to serve one another. The washing of the feet must be done with care. Remember I said earlier that the words must so sometimes they say it, but then their actions is not the same. Imagine if it was a servant that was, wants to wash your feet and nagdadabog, right? In, in English, what's, what's nagdadabog in English? Huh? Nagdadabog. <laughs> right? They're, they're just, their action is not communicating that they're happy. They're, they're just not happy, Deborah. They're, 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 instead of doing it gently, imagine them washing your feet without care. And they're doing it with like cold water. Right? Man, I was, at, I was at the dentist, obviously. I was at the dentist last Monday. Oh, my gosh. I, I, Therese is here. She just walked in, so I remembered. I was at the dentist, and some of them were more careful than others. Their touch. So, you know, some of them were just like, why are you, like, pushing my, my gum? It's, it's hurtful. But some of them were so gentle, you know? You know, when we're going to help someone as a Christian, we are to do it gently. We are to rebuke with love. Some of us, we wash other people's feet with ice-cold water. You know what ice cold water is? This is what the doctrine says. Leave it. Take it or leave it. 
to you. Next, next question. What's your problem? Mm, yeah, you're wrong. Go, next, next question. That's cold. You're saying the truth. You're getting the, foot, the feet cleaned, but you're doing so harsh. Right? Some of us, we do it with scalding water. Really hot. Like, it's burning your feet, but they don't care. They just need to wash your feet. Like, I need to clean it. Just hold still. You want it done nicely. You want it done carefully and with care. So when we're there to help others, because God said, hey, I'm here to show you. Because before that, there was an argument. There was an argument. John didn't show it to us, but it was in Mark. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in your place of honor next to you, on your right and to the, on the other, and the other on the, or your left. Now, Jesus was trying to show this argument that was happening, and he showed it to them. Now, that's not how you go, that's not how you go about this. As Christians, we are not to fight for positions. As Christians, we are not about positions. That's what the world does. But as Christians, we're there to serve in any which way that God has called us to do. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be the slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as ransom for many. Jesus uses the foot washing incident as an object lesson in humility and of service. And he was saying to them, in essence, You've been arguing and pouting over which of you is the most important, the most prominent. But I've just shown you what a disciple's attitude should be. Just as I have humbled myself and taken the servant's role in washing your feet, so should you have the same attitude toward one another. Now, in the daily occurrences and incidents of life, such as the Foot washing, each of us must be willing to take the lesser, lesser role, that of being a servant to others. That's the role in life some of us have taken. And surely, this is what God is saying. I, your master, your Lord, have taken such a role to be your servant. You as my followers ought to do so too. For the disciple is not greater than his Lord. From now on, exemplify in your lives the attitude that which I've just now demonstrated for you by the washing of your feet. Now, Philippians 2, 5, 8, Paul writes it here. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the death, to the point of death, even death on the cross. Again, the death on the cross is reserved for the most evil criminal, right? The death on the cross is the worst way to die, even up to now. But Jesus took that for us. He took our place. He became the sacrifice to die the most heinous, the worst, and for reserved for the worst criminal. And he's innocent. Now, the title is, How Can I Be of Service? Following Jesus' example here, we are to ask this question. Every Christian is a servant of the living God. Amen? And we are to serve one another with a humble heart. We are to serve one another with a humble heart. 
the humble heart is important as much as the willingness to serve. Why? Because humility is important. Because when God calls us to do something for him, it's usually not what we want to do. If it's something that is okay for you, that's what you want to do for God. That's not what he wants you to do for him. Every task that God calls for us to do for him is God-sized. It's a God-sized task. Now, has God called you? Has God called you to come to him? To be saved from your sins? Because none of us, none of us can live a perfect life. And this is why Jesus came down from heaven and took your place and paid for your sins. Now, if you want to accept that gift tonight, you can come up when the music team come up here. And we can, I can lead you into that prayer. Now, how about for those of you who have been saved, has God called you to do something for him? But yet you're still saying, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Maybe, just maybe, your humility is not in place. That your pride is still getting very much in the way. How? Sometimes we say, God, I, Lord, I can't do that because I can't. I, I don't, I'm not equipped. But God called you, Right? So he who called you will equip you. Remember when Moses said, Lord, don't choose me. I'm slow of speech. And what did God say? Who gave you your mouth? And who's going to give the words that will come out of your mouth? Or sometimes we just think, Lord, it's washing of feet, man. Give it to Joe. Because we don't want it. We're too proud. We're too good for the calling. I hope that your pride will be set aside finally and that you will serve God with your a humble heart and then finally live for him. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Thank you very much for your patience. As the music team make their way up here, again, I said it earlier, this is an altar call. If you have not surrendered your life to Jesus and you would like to accept him as your Lord and Savior tonight, please come up so we can lead you into that prayer. If you have been visiting us for quite some time and the Lord has impressed it in your heart that, he would, that you should be a part of this church, please come up so we can recognize you. Or if you just need prayer, please come up so we can pray for you. Let's all stand. Let me close our message in, with a prayer. Father, we thank you for your patience with us. We thank you for your example that you have set for us. We thank you for your message for us. We ask now, Lord God, for your help. Give us the humility in order for us to understand and accept your message for us tonight. Give us the humility in order for us to be willing to obey you to whatever it is that you have spoken to us about tonight. Give us the strength, Lord God. Enable us and equip us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen.